Now I want you to turn your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians 6. Or open your notes out and get your notes out as well. So we've been, or we started, you guys are way too friendly, you're used to me telling you to get up and we've got a lot to get in this morning though, so um, we, we, we started this series called Refocused last week and I really talked about some, uh, uh, some distractions from your spiritual life uh, that easily can creep in um, to the habits that you have as people, especially if you are not focused on the right thing. And so I talked about three distractions last week, and then I talked about three things to refocus on, and one of them was prayer. And so what we did even last week is we dedicated uh, seven mornings to prayer, and we just finished that up yesterday. And just so you know, like many of you have even been prayed, prayed over by name this past week, and this church has had people in here praying every morning as we try to focus on the things that are most important in our lives and, and focus on Christ. And so today we're going to keep that up and we're going to be talking about matters of the heart. Your heart is, is so important. Uh, our theme verse that we are looking at each time as we kind of come together to remind us of why we are doing this is out of Second Corinthians it's in chapter 6 and it begins in verse 14. And so if you'll follow along with me, I'll read through 7.1. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light, or light with darkness? In other words, well, how, how can you partner with people who have different goals and objectives in life? Like it's, just, it's, it's not a very good idea to be a part of that is what Paul is saying, and then he continues here, he says, what accord has Christ with Belial? Now, Belial, like I said last week, it's an interesting word. You've probably never heard it before. You don't encounter it a whole lot in Scripture, but it, but it very simply means Satan. It's another word for Satan or worthlessness. Uh, and so as we look at this, a question kind of to ask ourselves is, are what activities have distracted us? What activities in our lives are basically worthless, and yet we continue to participate in them? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So when you look around at this room, one of the things that I want you to notice is that this building is not a temple. God doesn't just dwell in this place. What God says is, I dwell in the people that enter this room. And, and so if, if you think about this, what you put inside of yourself, uh, what you take in is far more important than what you even bring inside of this place. So think of it like this. If you wouldn't bring it into the church, like what God is asking is why would you put it into yourself? He continues here, and, and he's going to quote the Old Testament and it's a section, basically, that talks about blessings for obedience out of Leviticus. And he begins this quote here, and he quotes from Leviticus, Isaiah, and so forth. And he goes, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so what God is saying, he says, I'm going to walk with these people. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. And I, if... If you're in here this morning and you want to fellowship with God, which 
I, I hope if you're here, like that is part of the reason that you are here. Paul then tells us how, like how do we walk with God? Verse 17, therefore, go out from the midst and be separate from them. And them. In other words, don't focus on what everybody else is focusing on. Right? Don't, don't focus on what the world is focusing on. Don't focus on what people who don't believe in Jesus focus on says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, let us refocus from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness, bringing a virtue, bringing a morality, bringing a likeness to God, to completion and the fear of the Lord. So this series is for you. I think it's for you, but if you're not quite sure if you need it, let's go to a man after God's own heart. Like if you're, I'm not sure about this message, Josh. Um, let, me, let me just, let's look at a guy named David. David wrote this, and David is a man described in the Bible, a man after God's own heart as we check our owns. And, and David was a person like you and I. Like sometimes we, we like put like biblical figures, like as superheroes, they never had any problems, they never had any struggles, like life wasn't real for them like it is for you. Like David had ups and downs just like you do. David had times where he was not focused on the Lord and when he needed to focus on the Lord just like you experience. And here's what David says in this psalm, Psalm 13 verse 2. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? I feel like my enemies are triumphing over me. Like, did you know that you can be a Christian and you can be miserable? Right? It, it's, you know, it's part, part of your experience is sometimes you're just going to have ups and downs. Like, things are going to be thrown at you that just aren't enjoyable in life. But I also think that sometimes Christians bring on misery in their own lives because here's the thing. If, if you're a believer, one of your goals in your life and something that you know is that you're supposed to be following Jesus. And, and so you will actually experience sorrow in your heart if you're not following Jesus with all of your heart. And if you're making decisions that are walking away from him or if you're not listening to him, like you will sorrow because you know your best life is one in which you are following the Lord and that's what you should be doing. And since you're not doing it, you feel like you're, you're in defeat because you're not walking towards victory here. So if that's you, maybe you're just in a, in a spot in your life where you're, not, you're just not focused on the Lord. All right, this, is, this will be, a, a, especially your heart, this will be a great message for you this morning. I, I think it will. I don't know. I wrote it, kind of, some of it. Um, so, of course, I'm going to like it, right? But, but here we go. So here's what I'm going to do this morning, just like I did last week. I'm going to give you three distractions of the heart. Three distractions of the heart, and then I'm going to give you three things to focus on. And let's just jump on in to the first distraction. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, because this one is huge. It's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. I want to read out of Ephesians 4, and I'll begin in verse 31 here. Follow me. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away among you, along with all malice. Now, this, this verse here, 
all bitterness. And then he goes into a number of words here, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, malice. One, one of the reasons that Paul mentions all of these is he's basically just telling you, like, these things aren't consistent with the character of a Christian. These, these are heart-killing, heart-destroying attitudes. It reminds me of, uh, of a story out of one of um, Robert E. Lee's, Robert E. Lee, his biography. A lady comes to Robert E. Lee after the war is over. She's from Kentucky, and the Union had demolished her prized oak tree, or I forget what kind of tree it is, but large tree, and so she brings some of the remains of that tree to Robert E. Lee, and she gives it to Robert E. Lee, hoping that he will somehow berate the people who destroyed her tree, but instead he, he looks at her, and this is what he said. I'm going to go ahead and read the quote here. He says, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. You see, Robert E. Lee, even when he surrendered, he knew that bitterness is a poison that will kill your heart and kill your soul. And it ultimately will harm you. As we continue on to verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. Now, Paul spends verse 31 basically putting all of these things in negative terms, and he puts forgiveness in a positive term here, but he's basically saying you need to get rid of all unforgiveness in this situation. And the reason you need to forgive here, he says, is because Christ forgave you. And so all he is saying to the Christians that are reading this is the reason you need to forgive is because you understand the gospel. The reason you need to forgive is because you understand Christianity. You're a Christian. And so he's, he's saying God has given you this forgiveness, not so that you can go on not forgiving other people. His argument here is that if you understand your salvation, if you understand that God has forgiven you by no merit of your own, like you didn't deserve God's forgiveness. This is why we call it grace. Who are you, is what Paul says here, not to forgive somebody else. This is, this is the first part of his argument. And, and I also, I want you to hear this too. Because not only is like this grace thing so important for Paul. Like it, who's glad like we are forgiven unconditionally on the cross? Like anybody, you can raise your hand to that. Yeah, come on, interaction. Yeah, there we go. Um, Right? If, if you're glad for that, what Paul says is you need to give it. Follow me here, too. Not only is it an expression of you understanding your salvation and what Christ has done for you, but it has healing power. It, it has healing power. Follow me. Um, you, know, you know if you haven't forgiven somebody, if every time their name is mentioned bitterness starts to creep up into you. Malice, anger. Or what about this? Every time somebody's name begins to be mentioned, like you can't help but slander that person. All things that Paul says aren't consistent with the Christian character. But maybe even more than that for you, 
Have you noticed what is going on? Like some of you are already thinking about the person you haven't, un- you haven't forgiven. Uh, ha- have you noticed what's going on inside of you when you think of that person? Here's what you're doing. You are giving them control over your emotions and over your heart. You have given somebody you probably don't even like control when you don't forgive them. Unforgiveness will kill your heart. I heard one pastor put it like this. It's like lighting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies of smoke inhalation. Yeah. Some of you saw another example when I was reading. Some of you maybe grew up watching the Three Stooges. Well, Curly keeps hitting Mo on the chest every time he enters a room. And so Curly is tired of getting hit by Mo, and so what he decides to do is take off his shirt and strap a stick of dynamite to his chest, and then he tells his friends, the next time Curly hits me on the chest, I'm going to blow off his hand. Right? That's what unforgiveness is like. That's what it does. Second thing. Second thing I want you to Net, not allowed to distract you uh, or distract your heart is this. It's, it's, it's coveting. It's coveting. Now, if those of you who are familiar with the Ten Commandments, coveting is the last one. Uh, but coveting is probably the most important one after Commandment 5. Right? Because what coveting does is it sums up 5 through 9. And so if you can get the coveting right, you got 5 through 9 right. You got that? And so Coveting is something, obviously, that can distract our heart, and God puts it in the commandments for a specific reason. But one of the things that is closely related to coveting, and maybe you write this beside coveting because I think this is one of our struggles, is this idea of comparison. Comparison. Some of you are constantly comparing yourselves to other people, and now with social media, we have um, ample ways to do that. And I like social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not on everything. I don't snap face or anything. Um, I know what it's, it's Snapchat. I got that. Um, but it, it, it can really kill our heart if we don't keep it in proper perspective. Let me show you even my own Facebook wall. So this is like the picture here on my Facebook wall. If you notice like on Facebook, all you see is people's highlight reels or some angry person's rant about something. And so But most of us, we want to look at the positive stuff or the extremely negative stuff. But those of us who are comparing um, ourselves with people, we just look at the positives. And, you know, I usually just throw positive stuff on my Facebook and say, like, you see the cool pictures that I have. And this is a picture taken on vacation. And isn't that a good picture? Yeah, it's a good picture. Beautiful family, of course. And so this is what you would see if you would go to, to my Facebook wall. And so you're looking at that family and going, oh, man, they're so good looking, like all this stuff. Um, Those those pictures were so good, I printed them off for my wife for our anniversary. They're in my office now, all this stuff. So great picture, but you're looking at those things and you're going, I don't see any problems there, right? Uh, They're at the beach. They've got a family. They seem to be all together. Um, We've got kids there. The people are married. Um, So like all this ideal stuff, like in our heads there, but what you're not seeing is you're not seeing the problems like my brothers have because they've got problems, right? Uh, my parents are here this morning, so I won't tell you the problems that they have. 
And then we definitely don't want to get into the bald dude's problems. Look at your neighbor and say, I got problems, you got problems, we all got problems. Can you remember that? All right, maybe you need to look at me. All right, I got problems, you got problems, we all got problems. My, my counseling professor used to make us say that before we started our class, but it's true. Right? We, we may not see them, uh, but they're there. And I, I, wanna, I, I want you to be very, very, very cautious about comparing yourself with other people because it's a big waste of time. Because I can tell you, you're not going to be satisfied with being somebody else. That, that's the truth. Right? You're not going to be satisfied with being me because I can tell you I'm not always satisfied with myself. This is, this, is, this is just part of our problem. But one of the things that following the Lord allows us to do is to grow more satisfied with who God has created us to be. And so this is one of the reasons why I encourage you to take the growth track. The last class of the growth track, we talk about your spiritual gifts. We talk about who God has encouraged you to be. Because I don't need another Josh in this church. Josh has got enough problems, right? I want to sanctify your problems. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Let me, let, me, uh, let me read this verse out of James here because I just want to show you how God really feels about this. James 3, 14 and 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. God, why don't you tell us how you really feel? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. It's like James knew that coveting was the 10th commandment. And if you could get that out of your life, if you could get com- comparison out of your life, every vile practice would begin to disappear. The third thing I want you to remove your minds and your focus away from is worry. Now, I know this stra- sounds strangely close to fear, which I talked about this week or last week, but half of you weren't here last week anyways. Um, and uh, worry is <laughs> worry is fear's cousin. Like worry leads up to fear, and so maybe I should have just switched these. But I want you to see what Jesus has to say about worry and anxiety and so forth. In Matthew six, and I'm going to read verses 27 and 33 here. It says, "And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life?" And so Jesus is just saying, this is a largely worthless activity. You sitting around and worrying is a worthless activity. And then he goes on and he basically tells us what to replace it with. In verse 33, he says, seek first. Now, if I were taking notes, I would circle, underline, highlight, whatever you do when you take notes first. That's just what I would do. Go ahead. Um, The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So the idea here, the prescription to worry, is putting God first and seeking his kingdom first. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, if you are struggling with worry, what I want you to do is I want you to just check your heart real quick. I want you to slow down and stop. And I'm going to ask you, what is most important in your life? And he says this, if it's seeking God first, I got your back. If it's building my kingdom, I've got your back. 
because here's the thing, I'm in charge of that. Uh, I'm in control of all this stuff that's happening around you that you're worrying about. here's Here's our problem is that most of us spend our time worrying about secondary things or things that we don't even have control over. And so Jesus here is saying, put me first, focus on my kingdom, and I'm going to take care of everything else. So many of us worry about things that we don't own and building our kingdom, our own kingdom. And I think that would change drastically if you just focused on the Lord, want to be obedient, and I'm going to walk forward with him. Now, what are some positives that we need to focus on? here. And refocusing on important things and matters of the heart are important. Here in Proverbs, Proverbs is a book of basically truisms. So they're, it's true or are true a majority of the time. Um, and so here's what Proverbs has to say about your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So in other words, right, if your heart is right, your life will be right. Like for your heart to thrive and to be in the right place is for your life to thrive and to be in the right place. So the first thing I, I want us to focus on with all of our hearts is this, is right relationships. Right relationships. Proverbs thirteen twenty says this. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a, com- a companion of fools go to jail. They end up upside down in a ditch somewhere. They go broke. Uh, They ruin relationships. Uh, They wake up next to somebody whom they don't even know or like. Uh, This is what a companion of fools does. And so, you know, you've heard the old adage, show me your friends and I can show you your future. Uh, this reminded me of anybody, you, well, you know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Like, everybody knows who that is, right? Um, anybody ever watch Pumping Iron? Anybody ever watch that documentary? Am I alone in this? All right, all right, okay. Raise them high, right? You don't have to be, don't be embarrassed. All right, raise them high. All four of us, or three of us in the room, have watched Arnold on his journey. I think it's to his fifth Mr. Universe. I mean, Arnold, like, he pretty much, he made bodybuilding big. He was the man. And um, so they do this documentary, and they're following him along with about uh, three other bodybuilders. And one of those bodybuilders happens to be Lou Ferrigno. Do you know who Lou Ferrigno is? All right. He, if you don't, he was, basically, he was the Incredible Hulk. And so big green guy, huge man, huge man, bigger than Arnold. I mean, just tall, massive. So, and um, he is trying to learn to do what Arnold does and to be as good at Arnold as bodybuilding, and Arnold loves to refer to himself as Lou's daddy um, and all of this. And Arnold's fairly competitive, and if you've ever watched, if you watch this, you'll discover um, Arnold's ego is quite large as well. Um, And he is talking about training Lou, and what he says is, Lou comes to me, and I give him all the wrong advices. Because Lou's coming to her training, and I give him all the wrong advices. Now, this is what your life is like, right? If you're surrounding yourself with fools, you are getting all the wrong advices. And I'm not telling you that your friends mean to give you all the wrong advices. 
uh, but your friends aren't walking with wisdom. Right? Here's, and I'm just going to tell you, the book of Proverbs starts out in, the, in this way, the fear of the Lord, right? Wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so if we're going to walk wisely, we need to be around people who are wise and who fear the Lord and are walking with the Lord because your wisdom is basically, your relationships and wisdom in this, in this, this combination are basically based on two things. The advice you get from people and your application of it. And so if you get bad advice, you're going to get bad application. And so you need some wise people to surround yourself with. This is, again, why we talk so much about growth groups or being a part of a community of believers that will speak truth into your life, that can talk you down off the cliff, that can tell you when you're not walking with the Lord. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a growth group fair. Get signed up with a community of believers who can do this with you and whom you trust their advices. Let me, uh, let me say this one more thing. That unforgiveness thing, as we're talking about right relationship, is still in your heart and still in your mind. Make sure you do that too. Second thing, second thing, second. Second thing you need to focus on is your God your God-defined identity. Your God-defined identity. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22 says, He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Get this, God identifies you. God identifies you as his. How, how do you know if God has identified you? Quite simply here, follow me. If, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that he has risen from the dead, God has identified you as his own. So at this point, you are a child of God who has been identified by God as such, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work in this. Um, you probably, here's, here's what I want you to know. In your belief and confession is actually proof that the Holy Spirit and that God has identified you. Like, God starts that. You don't do that without God starting it. And with God, God, without God bringing that to mind, like that is for God to do, to put that on your life, to put that in your mouth, and to put that in your heart. And so what God has done is he has declared you as a son or daughter, and all you have done is confirmed it. That's all you've done in that situation. And so the identity that I want you to lean into is the identity that God has defined for you. And the problem is, is that so many of us allow other people to define our identity. Right? We allow our friends or our family members or our neighbors or the people at school or the people on social media to define our identity. We allow the cars we drive to define our identity, the house we live in to define our identity. Maybe even our children or whatever it may be, good things can define our identity, but they also ultimately are not our identity. Jesus's identity was declared at his baptism in this way, in the same way that we're told here. If you remember with me, and when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down, and what it says is, this is my son, who I am well pleased with. It's the Holy Spirit identifying Jesus, Jesus receiving that, understanding that his mission was to walk with God, declare the gospel, and ultimately go to the cross, and then raise to be risen so that you can have hope. Now, I believe that Jesus was able to walk through this life because he knew who he was. And here's the thing. 
you too need to know who you are. And you are identified in that same way. And you need to believe it. Now, you do not share in Jesus' divinity in that way, but you do share in his identity. Can I, that's, that's good. Can I get amen, right? Um, I'm going to go preach in Kentucky here soon, and they respond. Um, <laughs> so I'm practicing. Uh, look at Galatians here with me, and you can follow me. Um, Galatians 3, 26 and 29, through 29. And I want you to notice all the things that God says about you. Notice all the things God says about you. For you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're children of God. And all who have been united with Christ, you're united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ. So you've put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now you belong to Christ. You are the true true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Did you ever grow up playing pretend? Like anybody grow up doing that? You pretend you were certain people, um, right? Maybe a fireman, a professional athlete, a prince or princess, whatever it may be. We all pretended to be different people. Did you ever dress up like those people? You get, right? You ever kind of dress up? Yeah, you dressed up like those people. How did that make you feel? How, how did that make you feel when you, when you did that? Uh, men, did you start feeling maybe courageous, tough, or brave? Women, did you perhaps start to feel wise, elegant, beautiful, compassionate. What, what was going on there? Think back to that. Now answer this question. Have you put on Christ? Have you put on Christ? Men, have you put on the one who rebukes the strong and stands up for the weak? Have you put on the one who lays down his life for his friends, for the world, for his enemies? The man who doesn't walk away from those who want to harm him, but those who walk towards him. Doesn't walk away in fear, but courageously moves forward. The one who walks to the cross the one who endures the cross. Have you put on that Christ? Ladies and men, have you put on the crown of the king? Have have you told yourself that you are an heir to the throne? That you share in the wisdom of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the elegance of of Christ and the power of Christ and the royalty of Christ. Have you done that? Or are you believing what everyone else says about you? Because the one is a reality in your life and the other isn't. Lean into your God-defined identity. And then finally, this is the last one. 
Here's what I want you to focus on is having an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, If then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are from above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Many of you know that uh, I enjoy C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis has this to uh, say about people and eternity and the relationship to eternity. And he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Here's the thing. You are destined for eternity. Everybody in this room is destined for eternity. Now, Jesus basically talks about there's two different places to spend eternity. But when you think about eternity, and I'll get back to the project, the, our trajectory in eternity here in a moment, but we, we're going to allow the children to come in because we're going to have a baptism here, but I just want everybody to focus on me right now. When you think about the, 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 your trajectory into eternity, that is a long time. That's something that we can't really comprehend when we think about this. But eternity is a reality. And the only things that in this world and that you see around right now that are going to last eternally are the people in this room. And so, an eternal perspective is going to change your heart because you are going to reorder what is most important in your life. Because you are going to see everybody that you come into contact with as an eternal being. And so people are going to become more important if you focus on eternity. Where are they going? What are they going to experience when they get there? Do they know Jesus who has risen from the dead and is, is the only way to eternal life? Secondly, I want you, I want you to think about this. You're just going to hold on to things less tightly that aren't as, as important as they should be. Uh, I don't know if you know this right now, but elections are going on. Um, and so like this whole worry and fear thing. Listen to what Lewis, though, has to say about nations and civilizations and arts and all of these sorts of things. And it's not that they're not, it's not, that they're not important and good. They are. But basically, he says, nations pass away. Civilizations no longer exist. Arts get destroyed. We should not be glad about any of that. That's just the reality of the situation. He said, we, we're passing through these things. And, you know, we should work to better them. But they're not, our, they're not everything. So here's the thing. You can experience more joy if you hold on to the things that aren't eternal less tightly. You're going, to, you're going to experience more joy in your life, have more joy in your heart, because you know, you know the good you experience here on earth. Get this, the good you experience here on earth is a foreshadowing of what is to come. So you can give God thanks in that moment. You can have joy in that moment because it's just what, what, what is to come. And the bad that is happening in your life, the things that you're struggling with, you can have joy because it's only going to last for a moment in the face of eternity. Okay. Yeah. Walk through all of this. 
while focused on our, our eternal God. Will you do that with me? Now this morning, before I end, this is just how I want us to respond. Some of this has spoken to you this morning, and so I want you to remove the distractions that you need to remove from your life. Write it down, focus on it, concentrate on that as you walk with the Lord. Um, some of you need to refocus on some of these things. Just don't go out of here this morning unchanged if the Lord was speaking to you. Perhaps you have thought about eternity for the first time. Uh, you're an eternal being. We, we believe that. And what Jesus teaches, this is what, what Jesus teaches here, is that if you believe in him and follow him, it's the way to eternity. It's the way to heaven. Jesus is actually one of the only people that talks about hell in a matter-of-fact way. So you can spend eternity in one, in heaven, or in hell. Now the way to spend eternity with Jesus is quite simple. Uh, John 3.16, you've heard it. You've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to go on living with Jesus, if you want to go on living forever, right, it's to believe on Jesus. And here's how you know if it's time to make the decision. The Holy Spirit is identifying its time. There's something inside of you that only, only you can confirm that this, this must be God moving me to make that decision right now. And so all I want you to do this morning is I just want you to confirm that. And you can confirm that in your seat as we pray here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You can confirm that right now as you receive Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to encourage you, encourage you to follow up with that because we are then commanded to be baptized. We're about to celebrate that here in a moment. But you need to make a public proclamation. But it begins by proclaiming that to yourself in this moment. Would everybody pray with me? Father, this morning we give you thanks because you are good. You changed our lives. You are, you are a wisdom. You are a comfort. You are a strength. You're the one who leads us out of, out of worry and out of so many things that get us into what we would consider traps in our lives. Father, I pray that you heal any hearts that are broken here this morning, broken by unforgiveness, broken by coveting or comparison, broken by worry. I pray, Father, that you put us into right relationships, that we lean into our God-defined identity, and that you give us an eternal perspective. For those here this morning who the Holy Spirit may be speaking to in a way um, for the first time in their lives, who are, who are being invited to come follow Jesus, I pray that they receive that confirmation right now. Father, I pray that they believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and they confess with their mouth that he is risen and that they decided to follow him with all of their life, seeking your kingdom first. Father, do not allow anyone in this room to pass up this opportunity. We thank you that you call, and we pray that we all answer. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.